0: All right, good morning. Merry Christmas, church family. Are you fired up this morning or is it just me? Because I'm fired up this morning and I'm not even going to be shy and I'm not even going to try to hide it. I've got all kinds of good stuff in store for us. So you got till about two o'clock, right? No, I am excited. This is a, uh, as you may know, we're in the middle of a series. Our Christmas teaching series is called Adopted. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So I do have lots to say. I do have lots of things that I'm excited about. But most importantly, I think that uh, God has lots of things to say. And uh, God is worthy of all the glory we can give to him this morning. Amen? All right. Well, the story, the story... Familiar to many of you, begins out begins innocently enough. Two thousand years ago, uh, the the ruler Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all people should be registered in their hometown, and so that led to Joseph and Mary going on a long journey in order to go to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, many of you know what was happening next. When they arrived in Bethlehem, there was no guest room in the whole town. There was nowhere for them to crash. And so when it came time for Mary to give birth to the child, they laid the child in a manger because in with the animals was the best place uh, for them to be staying. And nearby on a hillside, angels appeared to the shepherds. And these words may be familiar to you as well from Luke chapter two. These angels appeared to the shepherds and they said this, for unto you born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the promised rescuer, the Lord. Anybody heard any of this before? Many of us have heard much of this many times and so as we start this morning there's the challenge my challenge to you is to wake up (laughs) to make sure we don't let this slip by don't check out this morning because you think you've heard the Christmas story I can't think of a better time of the year in a church family than to celebrate the coming of Jesus so we're gonna do that together Another familiar part of the story is found over in Matthew 2. You'll see a bit on the screen. I'm just gonna, we're going to be following along on the screen a lot today. You're certainly welcome to turn places in your Bible, as I often have you get your Bibles out and open and follow along. But uh, we're going to be going lots of different scriptures today, so it's also okay with me today if you just want to follow along on the screen. Okay. Another familiar part of our story is found over in Matthew 2, where the Magi, or we sometimes call them the wise men, they have come to Herod, and they, say they come to Herod, they've seen the star, they've followed the star, and they come to Herod and they say this, we are looking for the king of the Jews. We've come to worship him. Now when Herod hears these guys looking for the king of the Jews, Herod feels a little threatened. Herod's the ruler, and these men are referring to this king of the Jews that's going to be born. And so Herod's power is threatened by the the arrival of this promised rescuer. The Old Testament told us that this rescuer, this coming king, would come. And, And Herod here determines that he's going to protect his position. Herod's selfish interests to cling to his own power and his own authority out of protection. And as he does this then our familiar, tender Christmas story with baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Here, because of Herod, our Christmas story takes a brutal, brutal turn. After the wise men find and worship Jesus, they don't come back to Herod because Herod wanted them to come back and give away his location. The wise men were told, oh, come back to me and tell me where you found him. So they don't. They don't go back to Herod. They want to protect Jesus' identity. And so Matthew 2.16 tells us that Herod became furious and made plans to have every boy under the age of two in Bethlehem Murdered. Some of you are going, I thought Derek started this with Merry Christmas. Some of you are thinking, hey, Derek, can we go back to the nice parts of the Christmas story again? But I want you to hang on for a minute. I, there's a point we need to, to see this morning. I want, us to, I want to point something out. And this story, no question, is hard to hear. The fact that 10 or 20 or 30 baby boys in Bethlehem were murdered... Because of Herod is tough to hear, but we need to acknowledge something this morning. And here's what I want us to wrestle with this morning. We need to acknowledge this fact that Satan has a long history, a venomous rage against Jesus that he often takes out on or directs toward children. Why would that be? Why would that be? Well, ever since Genesis 3, you could turn back to the beginning of your Bible, to the beginning of God's story. We don't have to right now. But you could go all the way back to the beginning of the story. And from as early as Genesis 3, Satan has known that the human race would be rescued by the birth of a baby. That Satan has long known that his end... That his demise, that his vanquishment and the salvation of all humankind would come because of a woman giving birth. He's known that since Genesis 3. And in addition then to, we've already talked about Caesar's... uh, infanticide. Him killing all the baby boys in Bethlehem. In addition to that example, further back in biblical history, thousands of years before, in Exodus one, we find that God promised His people would expand in number. Back in the Old Testament, um, God promised that that God's people would expand and become a numerous people, a strong nation. And when they did, they did increase in numbers and strength, and they were filled the land. And as God's people increased in number and filled the land, guess what? This was threatening to the ruler at the time. Does that sound familiar? This threatened Pharaoh's power. And so Pharaoh, fearing that God's people would become too numerous and powerful, Egypt's ruler, Egypt's Pharaoh, tried. First, he tried oppression. I'm going to try slavery to keep these people down. I can keep these people under control, but that didn't work because God was with his people. And so the Pharaoh resorted to having every Hebrew baby boy murdered by being thrown into the Nile. Author and pastor Russell Moore says this, when it's Jesus versus self, babies are always caught in the crossfire. And it's always been that way. First we had Pharaoh, then we had Caesar, and our culture today, who might that quote apply to? How about the abortion abortion culture facilitated by Planned Parenthood and the like? When it's Jesus versus self, babies are always caught in the crossfire. Um, before we continue here, I just want to mention, I just gave a quote from author Russell Moore. So as we continue, I just want to mention this, that uh, some of you know I've done, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Our family has grown through adoption. Uh, It has given me just exciting insights into our adoption as followers of Jesus, that we can be adopted by God and become part of his family. And so I've been doing a lot of reading and studying in recent years. And uh, this book I found particularly helpful. It's called Adoption by Russell Moore. And this little book is actually only one chapter out of a larger book, but I I mention it now just to let you know that many of the ideas this morning are are not uh, new to me. These are ideas of of scholars and theologians for years and years and years, and some of the things that I'm sharing with you this morning uh, are, I want to give credit to the, the influence of Russell Moore, including this statement that has been our focus so far, that Satan has a long history a venomous rage against Jesus that he sometimes takes out on or directs toward children. But, but, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Merry Christmas, church family. But when the time had come, God sent forth His son, born of a woman, here's the birth. Here's that birth that Satan is rightfully worried about. We started off this morning considering the darkness of evil in our world and Satan's murderous plots. But friends, Christmas is the best time to be reminded that God sent forth his son. That Jesus is light into the darkness, that Jesus is light of the world, that Jesus is joy in the midst of pain, that Jesus is our living hope. And so here in this passage that you see on the screen, Galatians 4, it reminds us that Jesus was born of a woman. What are we reminded by knowing this truth? In fact, even, even more incredible, born of a virgin, at Christmas time, often we talk about the incarnation, a fancy word for God taking on flesh, our great God stepping into our world and becoming a man by sending his son. And so here's some facts that are significant. Jesus was born of a woman. That that shows us that he did indeed become human. But but incredibly, amazingly, God, miraculous only, was born of a, of a virgin. And then we know that he was, therefore, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Because there was no human conception, the Bible tells us he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and this tells us something incredible. The fact that he was born of a woman means he became a human. The fact that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit means he is God. That Jesus came into our world, God taking on flesh, the, the virgin birth is significant. The, the, the Holy Spirit conception is incredibly significant. And as we recognize that he became man and that he is true God, that he is the God man we've been studying about for weeks, that, 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 G, that God sent His Son to be with us, we recognize an important, important theological truth at Christmas time that God is the father of his son who he sent into the world, right? And so we, and that's true, that Jesus is son of the great God. Yes, that is critically important and significant for us to understand. But in our, in our efforts to recognize Jesus' divinity, in our efforts to recognize that he is from God, do we inadvertently look past the story of Joseph? Do we even give a second thought to Joseph? Have we considered the significance of Joseph in the Christmas story and in the life of Jesus? And until a couple of years ago, I've been walking with Jesus a long time, but until a couple of years ago, I really don't think I had seen the role that God had for Joseph. Russell Moore writes, Joseph's only role, it seems, this, he's writing this about uh, our Christmas, Christmas in our churches. We sing songs, we put on pageants, we have these plays about the Christmas story, right? And, and then Russell Moore writes this, Joseph's only role, it seems, is as an usher to get Mary to the stable. Come on, it's like, it's like his only job. It's, have we accidentally left Joseph behind in thinking that he's merely an usher. Come over here, Mary, so that you can get to the stable, so that we can get to the part where God's son is born. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It'll be on the screen as I read it. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is a little surprising to us at first because it sounded like they were just engaged and now he's talking about divorce. It, in these days, the betrothal, the in what we would call engagement, had more legally binding uh, significance. Does that make sense? So, So they were uh, betrothed, engaged to be married, but that was much more legally significant than our engagement process. They have not come together in sexual union yet. She is found to be pregnant. And Joseph, thinking he should do the right thing, has in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Can you imagine the situation Joseph was in? Betrothed, Mary found to be pregnant, wrestling, and then sleeping, and then being visited by an angel. What must that have been like? Let me pick up the passage where we left off in Matthew 1 at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Didn't they help us paint a picture of the potentially disgraceful, humiliating, risky situation to which Mary and Joseph found themselves? And the circumstances under which Joseph uh, stepped up. And I think this is incredibly amazing and fun to consider. That in God's long time before time began plan, from before the foundations of the world, when God decided to, to, to put, in, put in play a rescue plan when before time began, when God said, I am going to preserve a people, a rescue and call a people to myself. He came up with the way to do that and he said, I am going to send my son to be with them and God is going to take on flesh, my son will go and live on earth, born of a woman conceived by the Holy Spirit, and part of God's amazing rescue plan for Jesus' life on earth included human parents. Part of God's glorious rescue plan for us included choosing a man and a woman to be the parents Of Jesus, including Joseph, who stepped up and chose to be a father when he didn't have to. We have a God who is father to the fatherless, and Joseph gives us a picture of being father to the fatherless. He heard the angel, he accepted these words from God, he obeyed, he took Mary home as his wife, and guess what? Mary was pregnant, so when Joseph obeyed the Lord and took Mary home to be his wife, who else was he taking home? He was taking home the baby to care for. Joseph was very much Jesus' legal, adoptive Father. So I don't want to look past the role that God called Joseph to. And speaking of that, we need to be careful, don't we? Uh, Sometimes when we use the word real, when we speak to people about their children, or when we speak to parents about being parents, we need to be careful about using the word real, don't we? Because Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, but Joseph was very much Jesus' real father. You know why? It's all through your Bible. Jesus would have, the first person Jesus would have said, Abba to, Daddy, would have been directed toward Joseph. We know in the Bible that Jesus was without sin, that he was God, so he was perfect, that he perfectly obeyed the law. That would have included the law to honor one's father and mother, and guess who Jesus perfectly obeyed that law directed toward? Mary and Joseph. The people in Jesus' hometown referred to Jesus in our Bible as, quote, the carpenter's son. And I want you to do this in the coming days. I hope that you as a family will take time to read the Christmas story together uh, with your spouse or with your family or with your grandkids or with friends. Get out Luke 2. Open your Bibles to Luke 2. And as you read it uh, sometime in the coming days, and as you read it, look at the story of Jesus' birth Uh, through eyes of adoption, look at the story through eyes of parenting, look at this, look at how the Holy Spirit of God, who wrote our Bible, refers to Mary and Joseph, and he refers to them as mother and father. And even more important than all that stuff, you know what's incredibly important about the relationship between Jesus and Joseph? The Old Testament promised a coming Messiah, the Rescuer. The Old Test- the people, God's people had long been looking forward to this, the arrival of a Rescuer, of, of the promised Christ. And the Bible taught them that the identity of the coming Rescuer would be through the line of David, that the coming Rescuer would be a descendant of David. And that aspect of Jesus' identity the truth of Jesus, the coming, the promised rescuer's arrival. That the truth of His identity as being a descendant of David came through Joseph. It came through adoption. So it's incredibly important the role that God called Joseph to. God sent forth His Son, and in, pres- in sending forth His Son, God provided a way for our salvation. And when God sent forth his son into our world, he also called Joseph to step into the gap, into Satan's war against children. He called Joseph to be a father, protector, provider to Jesus and his family. God is a father to the fatherless and Joseph images for us a father to the fatherless so that we too as followers of Jesus can follow God's example through Joseph, to be fathers to the fatherless. And that is incredibly important and needed because Satan has a long history of venomous rage against Jesus that he often directs toward, takes out on children. And when we read something like that, we might sometimes think to ourselves about the problem of evil some of the times as we struggle as followers of Jesus we often think to ourselves why all this trouble in our world why do evil things happen why does that why do I have to go this bad through this bad thing and and oftentimes we say why God and we and we go what are you going to do about it God why why is this happening what are you going to do about it and you know what part of God's answer is Part of God's answer to the suffering and the pain and the hardships that we endure on this earth is he says to us, I created you. Now go and make a difference. Part of Jesus' response to the the problem of evil, to the, the suffering that we go through is that he created us in his image to represent him to a dark and hurting and without Jesus' world. He said, I created you. So go and make a difference. So the question I want us to wrestle with this morning a little bit as a church family, I want us to wrestle with this question. Do we, the church, do we individually, collectively, this local church, collectively across the world, all followers of Jesus everywhere, the church, do we need to step into the gap in Satan's war against children? And I say, we must And the Bible is clear many, many places. Among them, if you turn to Matthew 25 sometime later today, if you want to read the whole story, but here's what happens in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we are taught that Jesus will return someday in glory that his second coming will arrive and that Jesus will come in his glory and all the angels will be with him and he'll sit on his glorious throne. And at that time, there will be a final judgment. And in Matthew 25, as Jesus describes this final judgment, he gives all these examples of how we serve Jesus by the way we serve people on this earth. And these examples include things like this. When we see someone hungry... Do we feed them? When there's someone thirsty, do we give them something to drink? When there's a stranger, this one sounds to me like adoption. When there's a stranger, do we take them in? When there's someone without clothes, do we clothe them? Someone sick, do we care for them? Someone in prison, do we visit them? And at the end of that, Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And James, in the book of James in our Bible, he gets a little more specific about who we're to care for. And James is the brother of... And I wonder if James, the brother of Jesus, I wonder if he wrote this having watched Joseph. James tells us specifically who we are to care for. In James 1.27, he writes... Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Might James have seen something in Joseph and then given us instruction about what following Jesus looks like and caring for the least of these, including the orphan and the widow. Uh, This series that we're in last Sunday, today, and next Sunday... This series called Adopted is giving me a chance to teach you a couple of things, primarily, most significantly, most importantly, what I'm, what I'm wanting to convey to you, and I will in a few moments, is the and I did last Sunday and I will again today, it is the significance of our vertical adoption, that as followers of Jesus and trusting ourselves to Jesus, becoming a Christian means part of our salvation is adoption, vertical adoption, God the Father adopting us into his family, that we can go from being children deserving of wrath to children of God. That's vertical adoption. And part of our adopted series then is exploring how horizontal, what I'm calling horizontal adoption or adoption that happens here on earth, human to human adoption, like has happened in my family and many of your families, that horizontal adoption gives us so much to learn about our, our vertical adoption. Including this, one critically important ramification of our vertical adoption. If we recognize that as followers of Jesus, we have been adopted into God's family, that we are His kids, one incredible result of that, one incredible ramification of that is for us to obey the Bible's calling, the Bible's command for the church, for his people, you individually, me individually, us collectively. One one ramification of our vertical adoption is to care for the least of these and that includes horizontal adoption of those who are fatherless. God has given that job to the church. And so... What does that look like in some of our lives? Last week, you heard a little bit about my family. I want to share with you again. Here's my family. Um, We have four kids. Our younger two uh, joined our family about three years ago. Um, My daughter in the back middle is 14. Uh, In front of her is Trevor, who's 11. And joining our family about three years ago are Mia, 11, and Chris, who's now 8. They joined our family at ages 8 and 5, and they're now 11 and 8, and... uh, we love them tons and tons and tons. Part of, the, part of the way that God led us to become adoptive parents, I shared a bit of this last week, is the fact that Amy's uh, parents are also adoptive parents. This is a picture of uh, Amy's on the second on the right, and then that's her folks and uh, her three sisters. And at the middle is Steve, who was uh, adopted at age 19. He was an adult not legally in need of adoption, but he didn't have a family. And, and, and my wife's family became his family, and we can't imagine our family without Steve. We always get a kick out of the fact that over the years, um, these pictures of Amy's siblings and parents, um, her sister Lisa there is the blonde one, and, and growing up, some people would look at the family photo in the hallway and say, is she adopted? Because the blonde stood out among the brunettes more than my Colombian brother-in-law. But, but as I said last week, this is certainly not just about our family. It's, it's, it's how God is working in us and in me and in our family. And, and, it, and it is at the heart of, of, of what I've learned here about our vertical adoption. But horizontal adoption is all around you as you sit there as a church family. And I've been so encouraged in recent weeks. I I collected some of your stories. I heard from many of you. And I just, I I want us to see this. I want us to see what God is already doing in Faith Evangelical Free Church in regards to Foster Care and Adoption. And so in a minute, not right this second, in a minute I'm going to ask a few of you to raise your hand. And I don't want to put you in a tough spot, and if you don't feel like raising your hand, you don't have to, but in a minute I would love to have you raise your hand if you or your family has some connection to Foster Care and adoption. It could be that you are adopted, it could be that you are adoptive parents, it could be that you are a foster kid, it could be that you uh, are foster parents, it could be that you are raising your grandchildren, it could be that you uh, have a family member, a grandson or a niece or a brother, that it was adopted into your family. And I'm sure I'm missing tons of examples, but you get the idea. If your family, if you and your family have been touched by foster uh, or adoption, would you raise your hand? It's all around you, friends. Isn't that fun? And, 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 and leave your hand up. If I have you, leave your hand up. And then I add, do you have, uh, do you know someone who's adopted? Raise your hand. Do you have there, I mean, there you go. Put your hands down. It's all around you. This is life. It, this is a difficult part of life. Adoption is, 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 is necessary because of brokenness, but it's all around us, and it's been a blessing for me to get to know so many of you that God is working in and through your lives in this way. Uh, I, I love that God is already at work in our church family in this way, and I can't, see, I can't wait to see what more he might have in store for us in this area. So, thank you. And, and we need to see those encouraging hands. We need to see those encouraging hands because if we look at the statistics of the children in need of adoption, this can be a little difficult and a little overwhelming, but I think it's important. Um, if you don't already know these kinds of things, there are 400,000 children in foster care, Today in the United States, 400,000 kids in our our country uh, are currently in the foster care system. Of of those 400,000, 100,000 of them are currently awaiting adoption. They will not be able to return to their family of origin. They need a new family to care for them and for them to be safe. There's 100,000 of those today in our country. Of uh, each year... 30,000 kids will what they call age out of the system, meaning they will be foster kids all the way through until they're 18. They will, they will then become an adult and they will age out of foster care with no family to call their own. This happens every year for 30,000 um, kids. And those stats don't even count. Don't e- I haven't even taken into account the countless orphans around the world. And so when we're faced with these kinds of details, we might ask the question, what can I do? What what can I even do? Can I make a difference? Um, That's a big problem. There's a lot of kids that need care, that need love. And so you've heard from me, an adoptive dad, um, I want to give us a little different perspective on adoption right now, so I'm going to ask my friend Darren to come on up here. Let's welcome Darren up. Yes. Okay. Uh, If you don't know him, Darren Davies is um, a friend of mine. He's one of our leaders, an elder. He serves as an elder of our church family. Uh, I know that he jokes that he's more known as Debbie's husband. There (laughs) you go. Yeah. Because uh, you, Debbie is on our staff team. She serves our children. And so he uh, sometimes feels like, you know, that's, that's your identity. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, so I asked Darren to come up here because uh, his life has been touched by foster care and adoption. Um, at age three, Darren was removed from his home of origin, from his biological uh, family, and uh, needed to be in to be cared for in foster care, and found himself in the home of the people that would eventually become his parents. And um, and as I mentioned just a minute ago, and as we've talked a few times, uh, this whole circumstance is only only arrives because of brokenness. Uh, adoption can be a beautiful and amazing thing, but it only exists because of, of difficulties. And so, um, if you could just give us a quick sense of, of where were you at, what, what did life look like for you that, that caused you to need to be taken into foster care?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I was born Randy Alfred Lent. Um, I was removed from the home just just a few days before my third birthday. I was uh, severely neglected. Um, I was what they call a failure to thrive baby, which means I was severely underweight, severely under height. That's not a joke, I was um, they They also uh, thought that I was mentally disabled. Don't ask Gracie what she thinks of that diagnosis, but um, yeah i was I was severely severely neglected. I couldn't uh, speak hardly at all. Um, I stuttered so bad, and uh, that's the and when I was initially removed, the thought was that I'd go back. That was the plan, and my parents um, ended up. They were foster parents. They were just foster parents, and they ended up fostering tons of kids. So yeah,
0: and then you—I know you're also aware of uh, because of ongoing relationships as an adult with some of your biological siblings and your biological mom. You're you're well aware of of the difficulties uh, that were facing you in life in the circumstances you you might be in had God not done something differently.
1: Yeah, when I was 18, um, I just had a real. They were they, we were in, I was in the same home. I mean, the same. Um, town and so when I was 18 I looked them up I looked up my two brothers and my mom my dad was an alcoholic literally died in a ditch he was in the mission and um, my two brothers I remember when they saw me I went over to them at Christmas time and I thought I had entered and I, I thought I'd entered hell I mean it was just so it was such an intense unbelievable uh, situation and they both looked at me I had an older brother and a younger brother and they said you were the lucky one. I mean, they they said that right off the bat. And uh, they've had a terrible, terrible life, even as adults now. I can't somewhat keep up with them.
0: So we're going to get to the uh, some of the the, the fun and, and and loving and amazing parts of your story here in a second. But those don't come without that brokenness that we talked about. And you and I have had enough conversations, and I have been around this enough to know that Adoption exists because of broken circumstances, and so uh, those things were traumatic in your early life. They were painful then, and they continue to have uh, uh, ways that they manifest themselves in your life cause you pain and difficulty and things that you have to work through. But as you mentioned, your parents fostered many, many children, and in God's providence, they adopted you. And, uh, and so I'll just now, if you would just give us a quick glimpse of the difference your parents made uh, as you look back.
1: Um, I think what I would like to do is real quick just talk about how I got to that point. Um, my natural mom, I call her Karen, she was doing visitation because, again, the plan was to come, I was going to enter back into the home. And so she'd do these visitations, how they do. And she goes, how do you get Randy to laugh and play? And she asked my mm. mom that. And they said, she goes, he just does that. And she goes, I can't provide that. And so she goes, I'd like to give him up for adoption. She didn't say that to my mom. She said that to the social worker, social worker approached my parents and said, would you consider adopting Randy? And they said, well, we're too old. And they said, we don't think he can handle another change in his life. And so from there, that's how I ended up being adopted by them. The only one that they adopted all of all the foster kids they had. <laughs> um, I, I, only, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were just
0: incredible. The support, the care. The nurture, you're no longer under height or underweight, they took good care of you.
1: <laughs> Real good care. And my wife still does.
0: Um, but not only did they take care of your physical needs, yeah. but you, you
1: were adopted into a Christian family. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. And unbelievable family. We were grew up the we were the type of family if the church doors were open, uh, they were in lots. we were there. I mean they just great, 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 unbelievable Christian heritage.
0: And because of your parents following Jesus, you were exposed to growing up knowing about Jesus, and, and at church at eight years old, yeah. uh, gave your life to Jesus.
1: Yep. I remember real specifically, I told you, um, I mean, I did, the, the knock on the door that they talk about, mm-hmm. it, was just, it was so profound at eight years old. God pursuing you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. And back then, we did altar calls. I like think I told you about that. Yeah. remember eight years old, walking down the front, and yep. um, yeah. Yeah. Right on. I, I don't know if I would have, I wouldn't, well... Who knows what God would have had in store if I was been in that home? I don't think I would have lived, actually. Yeah. I think that's where I was headed. Mm-hmm. So we talk about
0: vertical adoption that God uh, pursues us, chose us, wanted us, calls us to be His children. And what I love about talking with Darren and, and many others is I believe that part of God's uh, providential orchestration of circumstances in Darren's life included horizontal adoption that was a tool in God's hands to bring about his vertical adoption. I love it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. So can you make a difference? Absolutely. One family, one uh, parents, one set of parents makes a huge difference for one child, and those stats are overwhelming, but I say um, while we cannot adopt every waiting child, we as a church family, we as the church universal across the world, we cannot adopt every waiting child. You know, that might seem overwhelming to us. We, we We can't do all that at once, but we can make a difference. We can ask God We can open ourselves to God. We can say, use me. What do you want me to do? Um, Open ourselves to that. and, uh, and, And let's start there. You'll see a graphic on the screen now that shows that if one family in every three churches, that's not even one family in every church. One family in every third church in our country, if one family in every third church in our country adopted a waiting child, sorry, it's a little hard to read, but that says, Every waiting child in the United States would be adopted. That sounds doable to me. And oh, by the way, you're not off the hook uh, in this church just because there are already families that have adopted. (laughs) Joseph stepped up to be a father. Darren's folks stepped up. Many of you have been blessed by adoptive parents. And so I, I, I do, I want to ask. How might God use you to step into the gap? How might God want to use our church family to step into Satan's war against children, to thwart his plot against kids? Some of you are going to be foster parents. I just know it. Some of you will be adoptive parents. The need is huge. And and I just would urge you not to assume that some other family will do it. That some other church will step into the gap. Um, but here's the deal uh, this is not a, uh, a drive by guilting, this is not an effort to pressure you. Um, I know, and the reason it certainly doesn't have to be a pressure from, from a human standpoint, it doesn't have to come from me because I know that if God calls you to foster care or to adoption that it will be because God has worked in your life. If God calls you to that, I think he will take away any obstacles or excuses. And I think if God calls you to that, he will give you a a motivation that is proper. And the proper motivation for going into foster care or adopting children is so that Jesus gets the glory. Being a foster parent, being an adoptive parent is not for Oh, look at me. Look what I'm doing for the children. God's heart for for adoption, the, the, the passion I believe he will give to many of you as he calls you into foster care or adoption, he will give you a heart that is for his glory, that is for making God's goodness known to our community, making God's great love known all around us. But, Not everyone is called, certainly not everyone is called to adopt. Not everyone can go into foster care, and so that's okay. And what I want you to hear is that if you're not called to foster care adoption, what I want you to hear, followers of Jesus, church family, is that we're all called to the care of the least of these. And so if not by being a foster parent or adoptive parent, and we can't get into the, the examples right now, but there are many, many, many ways that a church family, that individual Christians in a church family, can be active, involved, and supportive of what God wants us to do in regards to orphan care. Are you with me? So there's look for those opportunities. If if not you yourself, then how do we individually? How do we as a church family support those who are bringing kids into their home? Um, I need a few more minutes. Are you okay? I, I need a few more minutes, and I'm getting to the best part. And then we're going to sing a couple of songs. So I'm just being honest that we're going a little long this morning, and I need you with me. Is that all right? Okay. Um, I, I, as, if you can't already tell, I could go on and on about how amazing adoption is. Um, how God is calling us, his people, to serve the least of these. Um, I can tell you how amazing it is and how he is working and, and and the glorious things that I've seen true in horizontal adoption and certainly the amazing truth that is vertical adoption. But I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, if I weren't honest about the fact that there are costs, that there are Uh, difficulties there was costs for Joseph and his family after adopting Jesus they became refugees running from Herod's murderous plots they had to flee that's that's a that's a hardship that's a difficulty that came about because of Joseph stepping into that role we saw him stepping into and Egypt was receiving refugees and that's how God protected Jesus Uh, There were costs for Joseph. There there are costs for my family, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that. First and foremost, there is glorious, fun, amazing things that God has done in our family in the last three years as we brought two kids into our house. I could, I could stay up here for a long time and tell you stories of the healing that God is doing in our family, the restoration, the, the working on me, making me more and more like his son, they're, they're, it, the love that we have for each other, the fun that we have together, the, the, four, the four of them and their uniqueness and their goofiness and their smarts. and their, It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. But there are costs. In the last three years, there there have been difficulties in our family, the ups and the downs and the pains and the joys and the challenges. And if I'm honest, desperate times in our household because of what God called us to. So I just want to be honest about the potential costs that there are for those who step up to care for kids. And every kid is different and every family is different and all their circumstances they come from is different. So I don't pretend to know it all. But there are costs: emotional stress, the physical work of parenting, the emotional stress uh, as we reorient our lives from our little plan to what God wants us to do, takes a toll. And uh, uh, some, some of you I know, think of wonder about financial costs. And uh, I I want you to know that Amy and I's experience adopting through foster care in San Diego County cost us zero. So finances is not an obstacle to foster care and adoption. Now, I'm aware of the fact that international adoption is uh, much more financially, a financial undertaking. One, One of the ways I believe that God can work for his purposes in caring for the least of these is those of you that have means, those of you that have been given money to share for his glory, can make adoption possible for a family who's looking to bring a kid into their house. It's something to consider. But finances does not have to be an obstacle. If all those costs sound too much or too difficult, I want you to hear these words that Jesus spoke in 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is is made perfect in weakness. This is where Amy and I have to live the last three years. Not about us, not about how great we are, not about our strength as parents, about God's grace being sufficient to carry us and to help us and to strengthen us to do what he's called us to do. So church family, we could play it safe. We could go the path of least resistance or we could boldly follow Jesus and trust him to give us what we need to accomplish what he's called us to. So we've talked a lot today about Joseph modeling for us the father to the fatherless. We've talked a lot today about horizontal adoption. But with all of that said, foster kids Orphans are not the only ones that need rescuing from the world's pain and sin, are they? We've talked a lot about horizontal adoption today and the need, the great need, and the numbers of kids that need to be brought into families. But foster care kids and, and, and kids that need adoption are not the only ones that need rescuing from the world's pain and sin. We all do. We all were children of wrath. We looked at this verse last week. Here it is again. You were dead in the trespasses and sins, and you were by nature children deserving of wrath. But Christmas is a glorious reminder that God himself stepped into the story of the world um, and, and, and so that he might bring about restoration and healing in the midst of our great need, in the midst of all of our pain and suffering, our good Father sent The answer, his son Jesus, and through him, we can be adopted into God's family. The Apostle John wrote it this way, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Do you see the verses on the screen where children deserving of wrath can become children of God? That's vertical adoption. Because adoption is an act of God by which he makes us part of his family. So there are costs. There are costs in horizontal adoption, but let's consider for a moment, as we finish today, let's consider for a moment the cost of our vertical adoption. Here's this verse we've been looking at quite a bit. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Merry Christmas, Faith Evangelical Free Church, that son was born of a woman, born under the law to redeem. What does redeem means? Redeem means to obtain or to set free by paying a price. So what was the price that God paid for our rescue, for our liberation, for our adoption? Ephesians 1 tells us, in love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of Of his will. We can put this one on the screen, Ephesians 1. In love, God predestined us for adoption as children through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back. We've been liberated. We've been set free. We've been adopted. How? Through his blood. God's loving church family, God's loving, rescuing, adoptive journey included Jesus covering the cost by giving his life. The cost of your adoption, if you are a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have entrusted yourself to Christ, if you have recognized that you can't save yourself, that you don't match up, that everything you do and try to do is not enough, and if you have instead surrendered Surrendered, given your life to Jesus, the cost of your adoption into the family of God was paid on the cross. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus died for you because you are planned for, wanted, chosen, bought with a price, child of God. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who has come near. When it comes, Father, to Satan and his plots, help us to put away fear and trust in you. When it comes to stepping up for kids, God, I pray that you would help us to put away excuses and fear and trust you. Father, there may be costs for us to obey you, to serve the least of these. There may be cost for us, but we know there was a huge cost for you. Father, thank you for sending forth your son. Thank you for the fact that we get to celebrate at Christmas that Jesus came to be with us, God with us. So thank you, Father, for sending your son. We thank you for the cross we thank you that in Jesus we can go from darkness to light, from death to life, from orphaned to adopted. And so, Father, we continue now to, to lift our voices and to give our gifts as the ushers come to receive our offering. We, we lift our voices and we and we give and we pray and we rejoice and we seek you because of thankfulness for all that you have done. Father, I pray for my friends in this room that that they would hear from you this morning and always, that, God, you would have your way, that your, accomplishes, that your purposes would be accomplished in our lives, that we individually and collectively as a church family would obey your call to care for the least of these, and that you would show us how we can serve you in that way. And, God, most importantly, I pray this morning... For those in this room that have yet to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus. God, I pray for those that need you this morning. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would know how close you are to them. And God, I pray that, that you would help them to find new life and adoption into your family today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.